Welcome to the Be Seen, Be Loved podcast. I'm your host, Christy Love. I believe in taking massive action to overcome life's biggest challenges because I know the rewards that lie on the other side. This show is a weekly dose of inspiration and motivation to help you level up in your life. Here's to a new you where your dedication, commitment, and staying true to yourself will make your wildest dreams come alive. I'm a transformational trainer, speaker, firm mama, and proud wife to a distinguished Navy SEAL. We believe in the motto, never give up, never quit, while doing it all with love. I'll share real talks with experts and thought leaders who offer proven strategies to turn your barriers into success in this unfiltered, transformational, and thought-provoking podcast. Let's do this. Today's guest is a man of great humor and positive energy, even after enduring his own mental health struggles. He is a suicide prevention speaker and trainer and author of Guts, Grit, and the Grind. He's also a cardiac comedian, which I am so excited to talk about. Now, as a former writer for this night show for 20 years, I bet he knows a lot about how to captivate an audience and brighten the spirits of those who need it the most. He's endured unusual real-life issues, and he used this story to help so many people understand mental health challenges and how to reduce the stress associated with it and also how to promote better overall well-being. Listeners, please help me welcome today's guest, Mr. Frank King. Hey, uh, you know what? Today's actually an anniversary for me. What's your anniversary? Uh, December 19th, 1995. Would have been 25 years ago today. I had my first aortic valve replacement. Aortic valve replacement. Wow. That's why I'm a cardiac comedian, because it it runs in my family. My dad had what's called a bicuspid aortic valve, and I inherited it. And I had it repaired at age 39 on December 19th, 1995. I got a human valve replacement from a donor, either a cadaver or an attorney who wasn't using it. And that lasted 17 years, 8 months, 26 days. And at that point, I got another valve. I now have a mechanical valve to take the place of the first tissue valve that I got. So... Yeah, I'm living on borrowed time, upside down on the loan, baby. Look like you're doing pretty good to me. It's, all, it's like mental health. It's all about self-care. But share our story. You have a tremendous story that I was able to listen to a little bit about suicide and how that ran in, in your family. Can you share yep. about that a little bit? Absolutely. It's called Generational Depression and Suicide. My grandmother died by suicide. My mother found her. My great aunt died by suicide. My mother and I found her. I was four years old. I screamed for days. I'll spare you the gruesome details. However, it's in my first TEDx talk, first of five. It's called A Matter of Laugh, L-A-U-G-H, or Death. And I I tell the story. I warn the audience. Anybody's going to be triggered. Now's the time to leave because it's a gruesome story. And I myself, in 2010... At the height of the recession, after my speaking business dropped off 80% practically overnight, and we filed Chapter 7 bankruptcy, I learned what the barrel of my gun tasted like. Uh, Spoiler alert, I did not pull the trigger. A friend of mine came up to me earlier this year, back when we were doing things live and in person. He was at a keynote speech of mine. He'd never heard me say that I didn't pull the trigger. He comes up and he goes, hey, man, how come you didn't pull the trigger? I go, hey, man, 
Could you try to sound slightly less disappointed? <laughs> so again, the answer to that question is in my first TEDx talk, A Matter of Life or Death. So that's generational depression and suicide. And now I speak on it, I speak on suicide prevention. If I had known how much money there was in being crazy, I would have started speaking on suicide prevention long ago. Wow. Where can we listen to that TEDx talk? Go to YouTube, type in Frank King and A Matter of Laugh or Death. And I've got three more up there on YouTube currently, another one set to be posted. So, And you'll also find, you put my name in there and the word comedian, you'll find all kinds of comedy clips. You, matter of fact, you can watch me age, age progression from 1989 to the present. If you do them chronologically, you can see my hair going as the years go by. <laughs> I found a video of myself about 11 years ago when I did a video, and wow, it's a huge, huge difference. I had on YouTube, and it is unlisted because <laughs> it's a huge transformation, but always good stuff. If you go to YouTube and type in J as in John, T as in Tom, O as in Oscar, JTO, and Bobby Duck, and my name, Frank King, JTO, and Bobby Duck my name and star search, you'll see me losing to a duck puppet on the old star search with Ed McMahon. I remember that show. That is funny. So you've had many years as a comedian. Did you start your success or your career as a comedian? I know you were on the Tonight Show. How did you start your Well, I started started in fourth grade, told my first joke, and everybody laughed, and I thought, I'm going to be a comedian. And then 12th grade, there was a talent show. First person ever to do stand-up. At that talent show, and I won. And then when I moved to San Diego with my first wife, there was a comedy store there in La Jolla, California, suburb of San Diego. And it's a branch of the world famous one up on Sunset. Did my first open mic night on April Fool's Day, 1984. And day after Christmas, 1985, went on the road to be a professional stand up comedian in clubs. Said to my girlfriend at the time, now my wife of 33 years, Hey, I'm going on the road to do stand up. Want to come along? Figured she'd go, oh, hell no. Mm -hmm. And she said yes. So we gave up our jobs, our apartment, jumped in my little tiny Dodge Colt. And we were on the road together with no home, club to club for 2,629 nights in a row, nonstop. That is quite romantic. Yes. It's kind of either makes a relationship or blows it completely apart. That's true. That's true. I think for you, it worked just fine. You've been married for how many years now? 33 years. 33 years, so it did work, yes. Yeah, we used to joke, if you got mad on a trip like that, you know, with no home, the only place you could go was the back seat. (laughs) (laughs) I'll be back here. That's pretty much all you can tell. That is funny, funny, funny. All right, so the suicide prevention speaker, what kind of people do you help? Because um, when I'm thinking about someone who is undergoing suicide, there's someone who stays at home in a dark closet, don't go out, don't talk much about it, the friends don't know, family don't know about it, well, the depression that they're going through. Where do you find these people who are actually asking for help? Well, you know, I don't do it individually unless somebody calls me and says, hey, I'm, you know, I'm suicidal, can you help me? I speak to groups, associations, corporations, colleges uh, on suicide prevention. And what I talk about is, is I tell my story and then I talk about the signs and symptoms of depression and what to say, what not to say, what to do, what not to do. Then the signs and symptoms, somebody may be suicidal because here's the deal. Nobody much talks about depression and suicide out loud, but if you bring it up, mention it, everybody's got a story. It's amazing. And so the key, what people hire me to do really, and I've been told this by many a client, 
We just brought you in here to start the conversation on suicide. And here's why. Because eight out of 10 people on average who are suicidal are ambivalent. They want somebody to notice something and interrupt. And nine out of 10 give hints in the last week leading up to an attempt, verbal, nonverbal, behavioral, indirect, direct, which tells me that the vast majority of people who are depressed and suicidal are really hoping somebody will step up. Now, the trick is, if you don't know what you're looking at or looking for or listening for, and you hear people say this all the time, he died by suicide. We never had any idea. There were never any clues. He didn't give any hints. Well, probably there were clues and there were hints. You just didn't know what to look and listen for. So that's what I talk about in my keynote, my trainings is, what does depression look like? I'll give you an example. Depression. They have trouble getting up in the morning, rallying in the afternoon. So let's say it's one of your coworkers and you guys have a Zoom meeting every morning and you decide, we know we should shift this to the afternoon. Well, the coworker was late almost always in the morning to the Zoom. Oddly, the afternoon Zoom, they're there early, bright-eyed and bushy-tailed. So that may mean they're having trouble dragging themselves out of bed in the morning. Here's one you can actually observe on Zoom. They let their personal hygiene go. You know, there's COVID casual, and then there's hair's a little dirty, clothes aren't quite so clean. Again, it may be because they're having trouble dragging themselves out of bed to the bathroom to do their, you know, shower and shave and whatever and run out of wash. So let's say you notice that their personal hygiene is sliding. What do you say? Well, let's talk about what you don't say. You don't say, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, turn that frown upside down. Have you tried fish oil? What you do say is, I'm here for you and I mean it. I know you're not crazy, lazy, or self-absorbed. I know that depression is a mental illness. The good news is with time and treatment, things will get better. I'll take the time and I'll help you get the treatment. Here's the difficult question to ask, but you got to ask it. And if you can't ask this, if someone you think is depressed, find somebody who can't ask it. Are you having thoughts of suicide? Okay, let's say they're not forthcoming, but you still in your gut suspect How would you know they're having thoughts of suicide? Well, they talk about death and dying. You catch them Googling death and dying. Uh, Death and dying appears as a theme in their artwork, their music, their writing. They're getting their affairs in order, giving away prized possessions because they want to make sure those possessions go to the people they want them to go to when they're gone. If they give away a pet, that's top of the pyramid of giving away prized possessions. That's really dangerous. Here's what I think is extremely dangerous and counterintuitive. So let's say they've been depressed for a long time, and then all of a sudden they're happy beyond measure for no reason. You're happy because they're happy. Thank the Lord, finally. Well, the problem is they may be happy because they've chosen time, place, and method, and they know the pain is finite. It's going to end. And that's what suicide is almost always about. People say to me, why did so-and-so want to kill himself? Chances are he didn't want to kill himself. Chances are he just wanted to end the pain. I just wanted to end the pain. Now, let's say they do tell you they're depressed and having thoughts of suicide. What do you say? You say, do you have a plan? And if they have a plan, what is your plan? And if it's detailed, you know, time, place, method, your job as a mental health first responder is to get them on the phone with the suicide prevention lifeline. And if they won't pick up the phone, you pick it up. You call the lifeline. The volunteer will do their best to talk the phone into the hand of the person in crisis. If they're younger, you know, millennial or younger, there's a suicide prevention text line. So you text the word help or connect to 741-741. Question comes up, when do you call the police? If they're an immediate danger to themselves or somebody else, you got to call the cops. Now, 
I'm going to add something that's not in any psychological textbook. Let's say they, they have a plan, but it's not particularly well-formed. You know, it's just kind of nebulous. What do you say? I say, you're going to kill yourself? And if they say no, then my last question is, okay, tell me why not. Make them give voice to whatever's keeping them here. That's the protocol. That's what I teach. And that's, again, because the good news is you can make a difference. You can save a life. And you can do it by doing something as simple as what you and I are doing right now. And that is starting a conversation if you know what to look and listen for and you're willing to step out of your comfort zone and into their, you know, their whatever they're going through. And because the vast majority of them want you to do that. It may take a little persistence, a little pushing, but statistics show that, that the majority of people want somebody to interfere. That's extremely helpful information. Throughout my life, while you're talking, um, there are people who have showed signs and symptoms exactly as you're describing. But my question is, how do you know if it's someone who's leading down the road to suicide or someone who's simply bipolar or have ADHD? One day they're up, one day they're down. One day they're happy, one day they're sad. <laughs> and they're all over the place. Yes. Well, uh, anybody who is like that, I encourage them to get a mental health evaluation. Just nowadays, of course, it'd be a telemedicine, probably conversation with a mental health provider because, you know, they're each of those ailments has different signs and symptoms. Depression, by the way, in men often presents as anger or irritability. So sometimes it's difficult to tell. All right. Is he depressed or just, you know, awful? (laughs) That's uh, Mad and uh, irritated. You know, the, the, um, like I said, bi- with bipolar disorder, they're on the top of the world one day and then they are, you know, can't get out of bed the next. That would be rapid cycling bipolar, by the way. Most people don't rapid cycle quite that fast. There's also a magic, a magic layer in the bipolar disorder called hypomania, which is between mania and the depressive state. And in that hypomanic state, it's extremely productive. You're charismatic. You are energetic, creative, take inspired risks. And when they pay off, you look brilliant. The trick is it's very difficult to maintain that altitude. You either slip into mania, which can lead to you know delusions and um, so forth, or you slide into the depressive state, which, by the way, is more dangerous. More people die by suicide in the depressive state of bipolar disorder than just ordinary run-of-the-mill depressed people like me. (laughs) It's a much deeper, and it may be because of the swing from that manic on top of the world through hypomania back down into depressive. It may be the contrast is so glaring that uh, the problem for a lot of people with depression is I've been living with it all my life. I know what my cycle is. I, I go down the first day, flatten out the second, come back the third. So I know if I just ride it out, give it three days, But if you haven't had a lot of episodes like that, people who are depressed tend to live in the immediate, in the present. They can't convince themselves that it will ever get any better than it is at that moment. Mm -hmm. And that's very dangerous. Yeah, if you if you've been as I have with the cycle for you know decades, I just you know I just ride it out, ride it down, ride it back up. I don't resist it. I just let you know. I just try to use that energy to do whatever I can to be productive. Put one foot in front of the other, and. Most high-functioning mentally ill people have um, techniques to get out of bed in the morning, which, by the way, I've been teaching on podcast after podcast to neuronormal people who are probably situationally depressed because of the pandemic. Right. What is that technique? I'm interested. 
if you're mentally ill and you're pretty high functioning, you have a self-care plan. And mine involves five things. Diet. I'm on the keto diet and I do intermittent fasting. This last day or so, I had 18 hours between meals. The day before that, it was like 26 hours between meals. So diet exercise. I've got an old a Nordic track behind my TEDx here and some stretchy bands. And I walk the dogs in the morning. It's uphill, you know, the first half. So I have diet exercise. Good night's sleep is restorative. And then meditation. I meditate twice a day. A guided meditation is called the catnapper. Takes me down brings me back up the other end, lowers cortisol, blood pressure, enhances DHEA. It's like a mental and physical reset twice a day. And medication. I didn't take medication until I was 60. Prior to that, I took something called SAMe, S-A-M-E. You can buy it at Costco, 400 milligrams first thing in the morning, empty stomach, and it's good on mild depression. It's also, by the way, the two side effects are it's good for your joints and good for your liver. I rode that until I was 60. And my wife goes, honey, just go ask the doctor. See if he can't give you a little something, something. And sure enough, he did something. And I'm taking probably the lowest dose of this particular medication. And three weeks in, I thought, what was I waiting for? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, um, and no side effects I can, you know, I'm aware of. Here's the thing. Let's say you're neuronormal and you're depressed because of the pandemic. And some people, you know, they resist antidepressants because they figure it's a life sentence. That's not true. When the pandemic disappears, you know, you can just taper off and you may never use them ever again in your life. But let's say you get an antidepressant and it doesn't work or doesn't work well. Then they have now have a DNA cheek swab test. They take your DNA and they compare it to a list of antidepressants. and They pick the one or two they think would work best with your metabolism. So there's a lot less going on, doesn't work, taper off, going on, doesn't work, taper off, a lot less lab rat action. So that's, that's what I would do if I was, you know, situationally depressed. There's another thing that mentally ill people do to be able to get out of bed in the morning. Because, you know, I wake up in an uncertain world every day, whether there's a pandemic or not. So it's called gamification. You make a game out of getting out of bed. What I do is I make a to-do list of six things, and I get out of bed. And when I scratch off number six... I win because I don't care if it's three in the afternoon, broad daylight. I can go back to bed, pull the covers over my head, pull up Disney Plus, and, you know, binge watch the second season of The Mandalorian because, like, I won. I marks all six things off my to-do list. That's called gamification. Same thing with the gym. The gym's 25 minutes away. So my deal is if I get there and go in the building, all I have to do is one rep of one exercise. I can turn around and go back home. I've never done that, but the option always exists. And it gets me to the gym knowing I can walk in, do a bicep curl, turn around, get back in the car, go home, you know, pull the covers over my head. So it's called gamification. And the third leg of the self-care stool, they ask a, an astronaut who was in the space station for a year by himself, how do you survive that social isolation? And he said, one word, routine. He goes, I control the things I can't control. I go to bed same time every night, get up same time. I eat my meals at roughly the same time, exercise same time, meditate. I binge watch Netflix same time. So it's all about routine and controlling the things you can actually control. You have to let the rest of it go because, you know, 9-11 happened on one day. The next day we began to rebuild. The last recession happened over several days, maybe a week, and we began to rebuild. This thing, it, you know, it was on, on us, and then it backed off, and then there's a surge, and it backed off, and now there's another surge after Thanksgiving and Christmas, probably going to be worse. A friend of mine says, like this, Frank, if I asked you to run 20 miles, could you do it? I go, yeah, I could probably do it. I'm not going to do it in record time, but I could probably pull it off. 
He goes, you know why? Because at 15 miles, you're thinking to yourself, oh man, only five miles to go. What if I said to you, Frank, run? How far am I going? Don't know. <laughs> when do I get to stop? Got no idea. I wouldn't be quite as excited about, you know, putting my Nikes on and head out the door. That's kind of where, where we are is, you know, nobody knows how long. I'm, I'm hoping with the vaccines, as we're speaking, the one from Moderna was approved yesterday, I think. And so people are beginning to get vaccines. I'm hoping by second quarter, maybe life will begin to return. And certainly by next Christmas, we'll be getting next Thanksgiving and Christmas next year. Yeah. So I'm hoping, hoping it comes back by second quarter. The thing about speaking for a living is, let's say everybody got vaccinated in the first quarter of the year. Well, there are not going to be a lot of conventions in the second quarter because those things take three to six months to plan, meaning, you know, it's going to be probably the fall before I speak again live. So we're sort of hunkered down for the long haul. That's why I coach TEDx is because I can do it from my living room and my bunny slippers. And it's helping to make up the income I'm losing by not being able to go around, you know, the country and speak live. Absolutely. Pivoting online during this time for speakers is imperative or business owners. If you do that, then that's going to help your company to grow. I feel for the restaurateurs, you know, there's a bill in Congress right now that hadn't been voted on that rescue restaurant rescue act. And I think it's a brilliant idea. Pay the restaurants to be closed. That way, when it's over, they'll still be around. And, and there's one city, I can't remember which one it was, where they decided the, pro- the two problems, restaurants closed and that the population was lining up for miles at the food banks. They got all the restaurateurs together and said, look, we can solve this problem. We can keep you in business as well as the people who supply you, you know, the farmers, the people who provide the, uh, you know, all the raw material for restaurants and feed the homeless and those who are, you know, still have a home but don't have food. And so they're, they're paying the restaurants to produce meals for people who are would ordinarily be lined up at the food bank. So the restaurant stays in business. The people get well-prepared, fresh food. I just think it's a brilliant idea. That's a creative idea, absolutely. And in order to survive now, you have to be creative. You have to think yeah. of the box. You can't stay stagnant or you're going to fail. You are. Yeah, the, the thing... Restaurants who have outdoor dining have had a better shot at surviving. And there's a gym downtown here in Eugene that has a rather large parking lot. And so they set up the kind of thing you would have a wedding under, you know, just uh, doesn't have any sides, but it has a roof, a tent. Yeah. And it's going to be a little chilly, (laughs) but they can work out because you're outdoors. So they drag them, they drug the machines outside, you know, underneath the tent. Creativity. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Now, there are gyms, um, including mine, that don't have that option, and I hope they're there when this is all said. And what's really upsetting the gym owners is in Oregon, you know, the essential businesses are open. Drugstores, banks, grocery stores. My wife works at a grocery store. She's a cashier, so she's an essential worker. What bothers my friend who owns a gym is they're also allowing liquor stores and weed dispensaries to be open. And I'm not sure they are essential, but... I said to my friend, think about this. You know how much tax revenue those things generate? So, you know, follow the money, I'm sure. Now, there are people who use medicinal marijuana for real in Oregon. They treat themselves with it. They're not just making up an ailment to get weed. So I can understand. But liquor stores, (laughs) nobody's on medicinal liquor. Come on. That may help a lot of mental health issues. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. Well, that's the problem, uh, by the way, is um, 
substance abuse gets worse at a time like this. And they're expecting 30, 40, 50,000 more suicides this year because of, they call them deaths of despair because of the pandemic. After Christmas, and we're recording this before Christmas, Mm -hmm. after Christmas, the moratorium on evictions is gone. So people can be evicted from their apartments or their houses where they're renting. And the the moratorium on, you know, uh, foreclosures is probably going to go away as well. And so I imagine there'll be lots of people evicted and lots of foreclosures on property and people will be thrown out, you know, and going to be homeless. And, and of course, this past week, another 800,000 some new applications for unemployment. This is people who had never, up to this point, applied for unemployment before. So 800 some odd thousand new applications for unemployment. So it's the worst unemployment since the Great Depression, 29, of last century. And hopefully, as, as we, you and I are chatting, Congress is working this weekend. They're going to pass the latest stimulus, which would be, I think, 300 bucks a week for us gig workers and unemployment, plus the state would kick back in. And then payroll protection, there should be some of that. So hopefully, fingers crossed, they get that passed here before everybody leaves for the holidays. I absolutely hope so. I absolutely hope so because the world needs, uh, you know, just a hope, I guess you can say hope. Yes. Well, yes. Well, Frank, what's in store for you? What are you doing? What's what's in the future for you? You're speaking. You're I got this- nothing. I got nothing. Nothing again. Yeah, I'm sure you have something. <laughs> yeah, I um, actually got an invitation. Uh, it's a website called elevate.ac. Elevate.ac. Apparently, it's a... Um, it's a startup, sort of like masterclass.com. Okay. And they've got all these wonderful people. They've got an astronaut and a woman who specializes in branding, works on Madison Avenue, a movie producer, and former NFL football player. And then and I got a phone call. And you, Frank, I'm like, um, I've That's seen the list. What an opportunity that is. Yeah. And I, I suspect the fellow who created the website, because I sent him a note, thanked him for letting me play along. And he wrote me a note back. He said, look, I can give you I can give you a much longer reply, but let me just say this. Your information on suicide prevention may be the most important information on that site. So I was thrilled to be invited. And he's also going to give away memberships to the site to, I believe, all the school children in the U.S. So they can take these courses on digital transformation, on branding, on suicide prevention, on, you know, whatever whatever other courses they offer for nothing. They want to do good work as well as charge people who can't afford it. Currently applying, I've got three or four TED Talk ideas. I'm submitting one right after another in hopes of getting another TEDx talk. That's amazing. That's- yeah, I've got, I've got one actually called um, Social Distancing and Staying Sane. Don't worry about your mentally ill friends because you and I talked about it. I'm well, well situation to survive this pandemic. And absolutely. During this time, definitely watch your friends, watch your coworkers. Yes. And, and especially the ones you believe are strong. And if you're looking around to see who your strongest friend is and you don't see anybody, it may be you. So be careful. That's true. That's true. What are three tips you can give our listeners to kind of take with them? You, you've added so much value, but three tips, three suggestions um, that they can take in regards to helping someone with suicide or mental health issues? Uh, Number one, if you suspect you are living with a mental illness or someone you care about is, get evaluated. And medication, if indicated, like I said, it may not be the, you may not be doing the rest of your life, it may just be situational. Uh, Number two, if you you know somebody, you think they're depressed, because I get this question all the time, what do I say to my friend who's depressed? 
Well, my advice is begin by saying nothing and simply listening. Mm -hmm. Just sort of cosign whatever nonsense they're going through. Listen without judgment. Every time I do a keynote, I put my phone number up on the screen, which is 858-405-5653, 858-405-5653. I tell the audience, look, your suicidal call, the suicide prevention lifeline, or text help to 741741. If you're just having a bad day and you're mentally ill, call a crazy person. Here's my cell number because I'm not going to judge. You don't have to explain anything to me. I get it. I hear the same music you do. So if you're struggling and you know somebody who's lived with mental illness and is high functioning, call them up and go, hey, man, I know you, you know, you've said in the past that you're depressed and you're medicated, and you're in therapy. I just, I, I can't get out of bed in the morning. You know, can you give me, you know, can you guide me through this? So that's number two. And number three is eight out of 10 people who are suicidal are ambivalent. Nine out of 10 give hints before they do it. So you can make a difference. You can save a life and you can do it by doing something as simple as we're doing right here is being brave, stepping out of your comfort zone and starting a conversation. That is valuable information that our listeners or anyone can take with them. Listen, call and get help. Call somebody. Don't just let it, you know, ride. Just, you know, let them go into a dark hole and just watch that. And also be brave. Be brave and be conversational. And watch out for each other. Right. Now that you know, now you heard me that, and you know the signs and symptoms, you can't unlearn that. You know, <laughs> trust me, you'll, you'll be, you'll be talking to somebody and you'll be thinking, hold on, hold on back up. Did you just say what I thought you just said? Uh, you know, I heard a guy talking about depression, thoughts of suicide. Boy, that sounds, have you been thinking about ending your life? That's the, that's the benefit of talking about it out loud. Can I leave you with one last thing? Probably the most valuable thing and the most therapeutic thing for me uh, about speaking. I have a condition called chronic suicidal ideation. It's a relatively rare, but there are other people with it. And what it means is for me and people in my tribe, the option of suicide is always on the menu as a solution for problems large and small. And when I say small, my car broke down a couple of years ago. I had three thoughts, get it fixed, buy a new one, or I could just kill myself. And every time I've spoken, except for once in the last six years, there's been somebody in the audience who had the very same condition. And they didn't know it had a name. They thought they were some kind of freak and all alone. And when they hear me say that out loud and come up afterwards, the relief is palpable because they realize for the first time in their lives that it's a thing, it has a name, and they're not alone. And I'm hoping that I've steered them far enough off the path to suicide that they live a normal life. And I would wager maybe somebody listening to the podcast right this minute for whom that last paragraph was a revelation. What? It has a name? <laughs> I'm not just nuttier than a squirrel turd? Oh, my God. Well, I'm so. for you for sharing your story. When you say that, I'm like, wow. It's amazing that there are so many people in the world who are also experiencing that, and I don't know any of them. So a lot of people are balling up and keeping this held on tight inside and not speaking about it. And because you are, you are saving lives. You're saving it, lives. It's uh, as Brene Brown would say, my superpower is vulnerability. Going on stage, especially as a man and talking about important things and emotions, <laughs> you know, and not pulling yourself up by your bootstraps like most. I grew up in the South where big boys didn't cry. And that's killing men. Eight out of 10 suicides in the U.S. right now are men. It's called toxic masculinity. They're just very hesitant to reach out. About the only way you can get a man to see a psychologist, corner him. 
You know, the wife says, honey, look, I love you, but if you don't go get help, I, I can't put myself and the kids through this anymore. Or the boss says, look, if you don't set an appointment for a mental health evaluation, don't bother coming in on Monday. That's pretty much how you get a guy into therapy. You put him in a corner. Don't give him a choice. Why? thank you for that, Mr. Frank. That is, like I said, very valuable information that I'm sure we're all going to be able to take with us. Whether we need help, call the numbers. I will have the numbers posted in the podcast description or Mr. Frank's talk or um, interview session. And find it. Get help. Look Frank up if you need help. (laughs) Give me a holler. And and chat about it. And chat about it. Don't hold this back. There is help out there. There's help for you. There's help for your family members. There's help for your friends, your coworkers, anyone that's surrounded by you. But make it known. Listen. Call for help. And communicate. Have conversations that are deep. And get it out of them and, and help people who need your help. Well, thank you, Mr. Frank, for being on the Big Scene We Love podcast. It was great meeting you and knowing you and just gathering all the valuable information that I now have to take with me to help someone else. Well, and you know, we may have saved a life. Uh, Somebody listening to this podcast may be struggling. They may have chronic suicidal ideation, and now they realize, what? I'm not alone? Not alone, right. Yeah. And you are not alone. Thanks again. You're welcome. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Be Seen, Be Loved podcast. For more inspiring conversations, please share with a friend. And if you haven't already, subscribe, rate, and review on your favorite podcast player. If you have any questions or feedback, you can reach me directly at beseenbelovedpodcast.com. Thanks for listening.